The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. We are joined today by Elliot Brown. He is a reporter at the Wall Street Journal and the co-author of The Cult of We, WeWork, Adam Newman, and The Great Startup Delusion. He's a terrific reporter. We have so much to cover today. We're going to talk about public market valuations of big tech companies and then get deep into Elliot's reporting about how that's spilling over into the private investment world, including SoftBank. Elliot, so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Great to have you. We had you around New Year's, and one of the things I said um, I love speaking with you about is froth, because you have this internal radar. When you see something not really makes sense in the numbers, you're very good at saying, hey, wait, let's double check here. That being said, let me read you some statistics. Okay, year to date, right? So since we spoke last, here's what big tech is doing. Apple is up 53%. Meta is up 129%. Amazon is up 51%. Microsoft is up 41%. Alphabet is up 34%. And NVIDIA is up, this is unbelievable, a whopping 196% and valued at $1.05 trillion. Wait a second. You know, this was supposed to be a moment where there's higher interest rates, tech has a pullback on its valuations, and then, of course, there were drawbacks last year. But what's happening this year is somewhat mind-boggling. Are we seeing another sort of case of market hysteria, or are these numbers actually legitimate? Should we, did, did the market unnecessarily pull back? Yeah, what, what were all these people doing? Did they, they not realize we've got a high interest rate environment? Um, yeah, what, what's That's going what on? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, um, what's so, the answer? Yeah, I, I, don't have, I don't have the answer. Um, I mean, basically, if, if you look at, yeah, like the, the NASDAQ overall is, is up like 30% year to date and, and is now only like 10 to 15% below its 2021 highs when we had like zero interest rate environment. Um, so, you know, what, what's actually happened? I mean, like, as, as you sort of pointed out, it's, it's actually really just a few stocks. It is these giant incumbents. Um, and, you know, the market is betting uh, that they are like, you know, essentially AI is, is, is going to power these companies to, to sort of at a new profitable level. So um, is it irrational? Um, I think in the broad sense, uh, you know, AI is actually as as a concept or generative AI is like ma- makes a lot more sense as something that would be transformative than basically anything else we've heard out of like the venture capital sector in the past fifteen years. Um, you can sort of see how it actually would be, uh, you know, could lead to just extraordinary new efficiencies and and profit, you know, centers within businesses by eliminating jobs and, and replacing it with, with you know, code robots. Um, that said, uh, you know, you look at NVIDIA's valuation and, um, you know, I'm not actually here to, to uh, really enlighten with any numbers and more just broad sweepy statements, but, um, I, you know, it, it's trading at something like 30 times revenue, uh, which is, means like, you know, the, the value of the whole company uh, is is thirty times a, a year's revenue? Let's say, um, you know, th- that means its profits are, are sort of minuscule. So it would just take years upon years at sort of a normal company valuation of, of profit or growth for for, for Nvidia to, to sort of pay that back. Um, so that's a long way of saying, like, I, you know, even if Nvidia just gobbles the entire AI chip market, um, you know, how do you justify a one billion dollar chip company? Um, that's probably harder, uh, but uh, who knows? Um, right, so here's some concrete numbers. I mean, NVIDIA had doubled the sales of AMD, right? AMD is the comp. Not exactly the same company, but double the sales. AMD's market cap is in the 190 billion range. And, and that's okay. a frothy market cap, right? right. Like AMD, so, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good yeah. one. Um, and so basically NVIDIA doubled the sales of its most comparable competitor, Five times, more than five times the market cap. How do you, I mean, is that, 
How do you explain? No, I mean it, it, it. You know, Nvidia is a meme stock, like in the same way that mm-hmm. Tesla is a meme stock. Like that. That's um, so. What's and it, it, it's actually Nvidia has sort of always been that way. It's 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 gotten like the gamers got really behind it, and then the crypto people mm-hmm. really liked it because their chips were used for crypto. Um, so it's got a lot of retail sort of pushing up this this cult uh, view about the thing. So. Um, look, my job isn't to sort of like rate the uh, stock right. as buy or sell, but it's like if, if, if you're wondering what, what is up with NVIDIA's valuation and does it completely reflect like a everything is normal environment, it's like, no, that, that's the result of, of sort of market hysteria um, and, and a frenzy. But in terms of Facebook, uh, Meta, Google, in general, this sort of like big um, you know, surge in the, in, the, in the past six months, I think that is reflective of something that's um, at least has a lot more potential to be real than, you know, like crypto or um, any of the other like 12 waves we've seen in the past in the venture capital world in the past, you know, decade, like scooters and fake meat and and um, mm-hmm. what what grilled cheese yeah, as a service. Grilled, the grilled cheese. Yeah. Gas. G-chass. Grilled grilled cheese as a service. Yeah. G-chass. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It's a hot new category. You actually do have an example in your book that talks about Melt. basically grilled cheese Melt. companies becoming tech company evaluations, so or commanding tech company valuations. So we're not just spitballing here. This did happen. So let's talk a little bit though about like how this now impacts the um, startup market and private capital, because you know there was a moment where you know it seemed like okay, startup investors didn't really see exits. M and A was down. Uh, the public market was unwelcoming for IPOs. And you looked at where tech com- tech company valuations were, were plummeting. So it's not like you were like pushing towards this exit and you realize that you might need more runway than you did previously. But now, ho- holy crap, there's a real opportunity here, right? Where like companies are getting started on AI programs and you can see the public market is really rewarding the faith. So I'm not in- as deep into it as you are, but I would imagine that this is going to lead or is leading right now to a reinvigoration of venture capital and the private investment space. Oh, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's really happened. And it's kind of, it, it's almost frustrating in that it's impossible to talk to these venture capitalists a lot of the time because, you know, you actually had a moment um, for one year out of the past 10 where, where the, you know, essentially the bubble had been pierced and maybe they could be introspective about, um, you know, sort of just why the, 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 the sector as a whole just is so prone to being frothy and, and sort of running like a herd and at, at, at mm-hmm. kind of all these crazy things because it's like overall and through 2022, I mean, um, you know, the sector did, did pretty terrible uh, even if, if like venture funds were able to produce good returns here, you know, uh, at isolated times. Um, so, you know, that's a long way of saying uh, yeah, I mean, things have gotten completely off to the races and people are sort of like forgetting like, you know, all that, that crap that we invested in uh, and put hundreds of billions of dollars into. Uh, you know, forget about that. It is an AI frenzy. And um, again, like the, the, that it, it, as a concept is, is, is probably more rational than getting really excited about mattresses or, or scooters as some sort of you know, huge new category, which which is what v- VCs were doing, um, but uh, because like the thing that really does unlock, you know, venture capital and, and venture capital returns is are when you have like an iPhone or the internet and you open up what mm-hmm. they call a platform change, like you you, you get this whole new category that, that that you can do. So that that is you could see how ai has the potential to do that the vcs all really see that and so valuations have been surging um, you know you have these startups with with nothing uh, that, that are just starting like there was a french startup that raised 118 million last month and it, it had been around for for like 5 or 6 weeks a week uh, yeah exactly like overnight um, right i mean it essentially was just like a, a dude or three dudes, and and uh, you know they get 118 million to, to go build a company. So um, you know that is the sort of peak level of froth. And so then suddenly, like all, you know, people are, are rebranding to be all about AI. When when um, but if you ask them how Web three is going, they probably would not appreciate the question. Right, and so you know it's interesting because 
I said this on CNBC last week, and I got a little gruff from it from the commenters, but I'm willing to repeat it here, um, where I said that there's, you know, an iPhone moment, it feels like an iPhone moment for generative AI. There just hasn't been an iPhone product yet. Like, actually, when you think about concrete products that we've seen with this stuff, you have ChatGPT, which actually the interest in ChatGPT is declining if you look at Google search trends, um, which is, a, a, you know, it's not it's not a perfect predictor, but it, it's roughly interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting data point. And then, you know, I, we have I'm Bing. certainly not using it for as many limericks anymore. I, I, I'm right. kind of done with that. Exactly. It's almost like it, it seems like there is a chance that the novelty has worn off. And now we're really waiting for what's going to happen. I mean, character AI, you know, is another startup that raised at a billion dollar valuation that you could like to speak with Thomas Jefferson or like historical figures. And I, I really haven't seen anybody using their their product at all. And it's not charting as far I as I can Thomas tell. Thomas Jefferson is so, not that popular these days in case you haven't been paying attention right no we have to obviously cancel him <laughs> but um but but seriously so we're do do you think i'm off base here saying like it's a kind of this iphone moment without the iphone product um, or am i being impatient yeah, i mean i i don't you know I'm, I'm bad at sort of predicting the future for sure um mm-hmm. yeah i i think that like the the jury kind of or you know what smart people seem to say is like the jury's out on whether or not this uh, let, let's even assume that generative AI does become a huge thing um, and, and put aside the question of whether we're all just getting too excited by a chatbot. Um, That's a good question, though. Uh, oh, yeah, it's definitely a good question. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's but go ahead. Uh, you know, it, it can't be used for, for very much specifically. Like, it gives you, you ask, like, how many CEOs of credit or UBS have there been in the past 10 years? It gives you the wrong answer, uh, which is a real life example I did. Um, and it made up some quotes from for Masa when I was trying to get it to help me on a story. Um, but so put that aside, and uh, you know, I think there's then there's a question of like, well, does it actually, um, as, as venture capitalists would say, does it have? Do you have a moat? Um, is there any difference between all these companies that are doing it? And and I really don't know enough about the technology. Um, there's a lot of people who would be able to answer that pretty quickly. But like, is there anything that distinctive uh, in terms of uh, if we fast forward a year, will essentially everyone have a pretty similar product to to OpenAI? And um, you know, if the answer is yes, then or if there's three companies with the same product, then uh, you know it's a lot harder to see how, how you sort of make money off that. Um, and then there's, right. it's complicated because it really does open up a whole bunch of new potential verticals uh, or, or sort of areas that, that you can go into. And it's hard to sort of play that chess out. Now, it's interesting because there does seem like there's a bit of a bifurcation among VCs. And I wonder if this is the case that you hear uh, when, from the ones that you speak with. But some are like all in on AI. And we're going to talk about SoftBank in a minute. That's one of them. But others are like, I'm not even touching this stuff. So um, Keith Raboy, who is a VC, one of the big Miami crowd, was popping up on the fact that he doesn't care that AI companies aren't starting in Miami because he doesn't want to invest in them anyway. And he said this on Twitter and I said to him, do you think there's no major business opportunity there or just too competitive? And what he says is there's no venture capital returns there in generative AI. Very interesting. I'm kind of curious what you think, you know, what you think from the VCs that you hear about that don't want in on this. Like what's their rationale? Yeah, no, that, that's a pretty interesting thought. I, I have not explored that in reporting, but um, but like I, I guess the, the general thing that's happening is, you know, and maybe another way of saying what he's saying is like, the valuations have, have gone from, from like zero to a zillion overnight. Mm-hmm. And that that means that, that yeah, it's, it's it, even if you pick a winner, um, like, you know, say you invest in open AI right now and open AI does, does win, they're worth what, like $25 billion? Like, what's the expectation that, that you know, in, in 15 years, do they, or, or 20 years, do they go to be a $100 billion company? Um, that would be sort of be at normal risk level. Like, are, are they, uh, there's a pretty high risk that won't happen. Is it likely to be a $250 billion company because they came up with the first chatbot? Like, I don't know, maybe, but, they, but like that, that's, that's, there's not too many $250 billion companies. Um, and, and so for VCs at sort of that level, they often are looking for like, yeah, 10x return, um, maybe 5x for, for that sort of stage of the company because uh, you're, you, there's, there's only so many, um, you know, companies that are going to emerge and like, you hope that one's going to win and sort of pay off the other bets uh, of similar risk. That, that's sort of how that game works. 
So mm, yeah, it, I, like so that's the way of saying when, when, when you don't when when every company that has .ai after it is suddenly worth you know over a billion dollars, then it becomes really hard for to play the, the sort of the VC game, which involves spreading ten bets around and hoping that one does really well up from basically nothing. Uh, so it's hard to do that when you start at at um, a sort of a mature valuation for a mature company. Right, and I think the crucial thing that it's done for venture capital and startups right now is it's given them all a story. A story to go to LPs and say, even in a time of higher interest rates, please trust us with your money. A story to go to venture capitalists and say, you might be sitting on a lot of dry powder and being very careful about where you're going to make your bets because you need to justify to your to your, to your LPs. But because we're an AI company, that's where you, you make the bet. And maybe that's sort of the shot in the arm because it did seem all throughout at least 2022 that like we were about to head to a really bad place in terms of like startup investing and venture capital where it was like going to dry up. And it seems like this has been the story that's reinvigorated it or given it reason to continue. Yeah, or at, at least something to levels. talk about on Twitter. Like, I, I mean, you know, remember that, that, <laughs> okay. that there's, you know, X mm -hmm. thousand, you know, very valuable or companies that raise very large amounts of money out there that that would struggle to suddenly convince anyone with a straight face that they're a generative AI company. So, mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, you have something like, uh, you know, a trillion or so of value um, uh, companies that, that are not AI companies um, that, that were funded by sort of the, the Ancien regime and, and they're, mm -hmm. they're still in trouble. Um, that that's not changing, but in terms of yeah, venture capitalists <laughs> are, like, are like you know don't ask me about that uh, that I just right. spent you know the world my, the largest fund I've ever raised on they're all be like because now over here th things are, are are just going to be dandy um, which which could are be you true. talking about Andreessen Horowitz um, <laughs> no I, I, you know Andreessen certainly seems to be talking a lot about AI and less about crypto these days. Uh, Almost zero about crypto. Yeah, there, there's not as much uh, coming on the A16Z podcast about Web3 um, or NFT. I mean, there were like, f you know, numerous episodes of that thing last year about NFTs or, or two years right. ago, I guess. Um, and, and now it's just sort of like crickets on, on that thing where that had completely, you know, the fund was trying to convince the world that, that uh, the entire internet was going to change to this weird tokenized energy intensive thing. So putting a bow on this, do you think we're going to see some IPOs? You know, um, because now the the valuations in the public markets are better. Um, Maybe for big yeah, tech, but I don't know. Not, Maybe like, not the it, Ubers. It, it really depends. Like the, the yeah. overall, like the the tech market isn't good. And if if, if you if, you know compared to six months ago, and so if you you strip out Google, you know the the big stocks, um, it, it still sucks. Uh, so if if you were making um, you know, a random, um, you know, shoe that you sold online to, to venture capitalists and, and, and think, and, and they gave you lots of money in 2021. Uh, like, I, I don't think you can, you can IPO tomorrow, um, and get anything close to what you want. Um, but what we are seeing, maybe this, this sort of segues to, to another thing you wanted to talk about, um, is, uh, if, if you do have an you know, an AI tie-in, then, then it's probably a good time. And so SoftBank, for instance, is, is planning to, um, or, or, you know, a, appears to be planning a uh, fall IPO of ARM, which is the, the, the chip maker that it bought for $32 billion back in, in 2016. Right, and has almost doubled in, in value since then. Oh, so yeah, let's, we'll let's jump into the SoftBank. Um, well, you, we'll talk about it, but... Well, let's jump into the SoftBank topic. So you have a great story out in the journal recently about um, how Masayoshi Son, the, who runs SoftBank's vision fund, uh, mentioned AI more than 500 times in quarterly and annual results presentations between 2017 and mid-2022. Yet, out of the 26 generative AI startups valued at more than $1 billion, SoftBank's only invested in one. I mean, how do you miss that? Um, yeah, and it even gets a little worse. Like they don't have, uh, they, they basically missed, you know, there, there's this huge public market frenzy for AI and then they, they basically don't have any exposure to that either. So, um, none of the, they have like 35 companies that are public and, and basically none of them, um, 
or sort of caught in that wave, largely because it is just these uh, top few big ones. Uh, a sort of funny twist of history is that they had, like at one point they owned like 4.8% of NVIDIA uh, back in mm -hmm. 2017, and they spent like $4 billion on it. And uh, then they sold it in 2019, and it is up... Mm -hmm. 10 times since then. <laughs> Unbelievable. How do, yeah, so so talk us through, like, is, it, is this just like, I mean, they knew where it was going. They just didn't, They I guess they didn't have the conviction to hold NVIDIA. Uh, oh, it's Although painful. maybe NVIDIA the, wasn't the, talking about AI. Or, the, no, how, the, do you miss, original... how do you miss this bad if you think that this is so important? <laughs> it's painful. Like, if you go back to their, their slide deck they showed investors uh, in the public back in 2017 when they were buying it at NVIDIA, it's like, well, you know, why are we doing this? And it's like, NVIDIA makes the chips that power a the AI revolution or something like that. It's like, so they, were they right. actually got it right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they sold. Uh, so NVIDIA, you know, that was a miss. Um, now, in general, I think what this shows is, is sort of two things. It's, it it kind of shows the, the craziness about timing in venture capital. So basically, SoftBank has been... You, you know, more or less investing, you, you know, approximately gobs of money per quarter since 2017, mm -hmm. um, gobs of billions. Uh, and then in mid or, you know, early 2022, they just shut the spigot off. They're like, oh, well, now that valuations are down 70%. Um, or you know maybe fifty percent by that point. It's like we we realize it's a it's a bear market, um, so it's a bad time to invest. Um, now, what sort of any um, academic will tell you, or or even a lot of venture capital firms, is you you do really you want to be consistent. I mean, you can go up and down a little, but um, like a lot of the best ideas because they're so cheap, or a lot of the best venture capital wins come at bad times because prices are so cheap. Um, and you, you know, then also there's like changes that you don't really see. So like Airbnb, Uber, Facebook, the, the, all of those were, were, were sort of born out of, of venture capital winters. Um, so anyway, they, they shut the spigot off. At the very time they shut it off, that's when a lot of these, these AI companies got funding rounds because VCs were trying to find something new um, that, to get excited about. And then OpenAI happened, released ChatGPT, and so then the the the, the like the, the lemming-like frenzy goes goes crazy, and everything jumps up. And so, SoftBank's competitors have spent the past five months just showering all these companies with, um, or six months with, with, with uh, money, and SoftBank has still been sitting there biding its time. Um, and so they they missed sort of a chance to get a big quick return, and then also have missed the chance to get in. Um, these companies' as valuations have sort of been going up day by day. Uh, so that, that's one answer. And then, then the other sort of, you know, chunk of it is, uh, you know, they said they were, were investing in AI, but they weren't. Uh, I, you know, the, the money was going to companies that, that convinced SoftBank that they had AI, like WeWork and Compass and Greensill, which was essentially a, a alleged fraudulent lender. Um, you know, the, I don't think the alleged fraud has much to do with AI, if, if I recall the court docs. Um, and what are some other, Oyo Hotels, I mean, um, you know, basically any company, they said it was, every company was about, you know, leveraging AI. Uh, and then you look today and, and maybe they're using AI, but, but it isn't really reflected in, in sort of the share price. Uh, so right. there was a line that they had about like a large chunk of their companies were using AI in their operations. And it's like, hold on a second. You can use AI in your operations, but it doesn't mean you're an AI company, for instance. If I use ChatGPT to help me formulate story ideas, I could call big technology an AI-powered company or a company that uses AI in its operations. But I'm not an AI company. Well, well, you know, well, a company. I would like to write you a check. Um. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a huge difference. You can sort of lie to yourself when you have this thesis and you're a lot of money and you're trying to jump in and jump out and, and try to deploy it. And that kind of seems like... What happened with SoftBank? Yeah, I mean, th there is a company that that is just um, they can't really catch a break, uh, and mm -hmm. but like I mean, they are a, a a you know sort of since two thousand seven or, or so, which was the last time they made a really good investment, which was really good. 
they have which was um, that was 2006. It was the the buyout of the Japanese arm of Vodafone, which mm-hmm. has has given them billions of dollars to play with, uh, probably tens of billions. Um, you know, they, they really haven't been like made many great investments since then, and a lot of what they've done is taken the winnings from their their past successes and lost them, uh, making. Mm-hmm peak of the market investments or, or, or uh, you know, mini peak, of, they made many peaks of their own by, with like WeWork and just flushing it down the toilet. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think, you know, the numbers we use is they, they, they basically, they spent $140 billion on at least two funds that were rhetorically fully devoted to AI and mm-hmm. they, they basically have nothing to show for it. Um, now, the, the, the big caveat there is that ARM, the chip maker I was talking about a minute ago, um, that's, you know, if, if you asked the analysts six months ago, they would have said ARM would probably IPO for like, who knows, $40 billion. Now they're thinking like 60, 70. So it, it, it's, it's actually a pretty bad return Great. over seven years. Like that's, that's oh. not a good return. It's, it's, a, it's a bad return. Um, we're certainly below the, the market and below other chip makers. But, um, you know, I didn't make $30 billion in six weeks that, that or six months. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's pretty hard. So that's pretty good. Like, that's really helped SoftBank stock. It, it's, it's a huge amount of extra money that they can, they can play with. Um, so, uh, you know, in that sense, they, they did, uh, they have a big win. But it, it just wasn't, you know, sort of the, part of the, the startup investment frenzy that they, they were doing. How much does SoftBank matter? Like in terms of, are they still the biggest biggest VC firm? Like, do they set the agenda yeah, for it, others? It depends how much they're going to invest, and and right. right now they're investing nothing, so th- so they don't matter in, in don't that matter. sense, um, it, it, or virtually nothing. If they start um, opening the tap again, then they can really you know th- th- sort of move the market, which which we've seen a few mm. times before since twenty seventeen when they launched the first Vision Fund, and so. I mean, just a flood of money that really does change the dynamic, especially depending if they, you know, target at a specific area or not. I know you're not the going to predict stuff, but just to wrap this section off, it seems like, in a way, private investment has been saved in this moment by the AI narrative and by the stocks that have gone up in the public sector. And perhaps the reports of this era's demise of frothy valuations of big checks before you have a product, maybe that was premature. Maybe they're, they're still going to keep kicking as long as they can. Yeah, venture is, is, is this, it's like, it is the hurtiest uh, industry mm-hmm. I, I, I can ever think of. And, and so you have a lot of money sitting around there. And so then when I think they, they saw some green grass like spread out of the snow, people just like rush to it. And, and so that, mm-hmm. that, that's what explains... Um, a lot of the the hyperbolic um, enthusiasm for AI beyond just the the, the reality right. that it is really cool uh, to to create a limerick um, and, you know, out of your email. And this is why this is where I'm going to take Masa's side on this because maybe he does have it right. Like, who cares about all these generative AI companies? The man says he's been investing in AI since 2017. Maybe it is the stuff that I mean. I know I just gave him crap for this, but maybe it is these companies that put AI into play on in healthcare or in construction or even in the restaurant industry um, and do it in a way that like can even help them inch past their competitors. Maybe that's where the real opportunity is. Yeah, I mean, it is le- legitimately early, uh, you know, as to the question of whether the Vision Fund One is going to, to make money on that. I mean, they've been selling down a lot of their, their, their old holdings. So like they don't own Uber anymore. Mm-hmm. They, they're, you know, um, a lot of them have gone bankrupt for some of them. Uh, so, uh, but, but yeah, like it is very legitimately early and, and, you know, there could be a transformation that sort of unlocks one of these older mid-sized money losing companies. But, uh, you know, I would sort of bet like history is more on the, it's either the incumbents or sort of like the, the, the upstarts that, that, that win as opposed to the sort of like adolescent or, or middle-aged companies. Elliot Brown is here with us. He's a reporter at the wall street journal and the co-author of the cult of we, we work Adam Newman and the great startup delusion. 
In the second half, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, something that's been big and brewing under the surface, which is the risks in commercial real estate. Very interesting story that Elliot has written recently. And we also have some more stuff to talk about in the second half. So please stay with us. We'll be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back here with Elliot Brown. He is a reporter at the Wall Street Journal and the co-author of The Cult of We. One of my favorite books about tech. People might say, oh, WeWork's not a tech company. It's a tech book. One of my favorite books that I've ever read about tech. Go pick it up if you haven't read it before. Um, Elliot, I also want to say thank you. You're pinching, pinch hitting here in a last second, July 4th <laughs> podcast episode. So yeah, this is the second time you've done it this year. And uh, I just want to say I'm grateful for it. Thanks my for, undying thanks for doing this. patriotism. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you are, you're in England, so you're kind of, you're in the place that we broke off from. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's in the past. It's in the past. Let bygones be bygones. Too soon, Alex. Too soon. Did you see that Joe Biden said uh, at the end of this, one of his speeches, he goes, God save the queen. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about commercial real estate. <laughs> okay. So the, one of the other things, one of the other big vulnerabilities in the economy and something that you've looked into is the fact that uh, commercial real estate might be in trouble. Now, one of the things that people have been talking about is, okay, post-pandemic, people are going to be working from home and they're not going to come back to the office. They're going to break their leases, commercial real estate. Holders are going to be left holding the bag. They're going to go to banks. They're going to default. Economy falls apart. And, and maybe that's going to happen. But there's also like um, another side to this, which is the debt that they hold to build their buildings. And in an age of rising interest rates, it's less safe for them than it's been in the past where they've been... They've been operating with no constraints, and now there are real constraints that are being placed upon them, which might shake up their business, which is something I didn't fully appreciate until I read one of your most recent stories about this. But do you want to just take us through exactly what's happening in the commercial real estate world right now and how concerned we should be about the potential for that space to collapse or at least, you know, maybe implode a little bit? Um, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty interesting. So I'd, I'd covered property uh, before I covered venture capital. Um, and so, you know, I've been in New York, then moved to San Francisco, and, and now I'm here in London in this sort of uh, broad finance role. Uh, so um, it's easy to sort of at least like pick up on some of the commercial real estate stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that is becoming the, the, the sort of uh, deflating bubble, popping bubble of the moment. Um, I'd say it's, you know, there's a, two very separate, but, but um, you know, when their power is combined, dangerous forces going on. So um, one is pretty familiar for, for folks for the past few years, which is that, uh, you know, work from home has, has uh, lingered and is, is changing um, the desire to be in the office. And so that means like offices are, are a huge part of the commercial real estate sector um, and, you know, the, the biggest. Uh, and they, when you have lower occupancy, that, that means lower rents. And when you have lower rents, that means that landlords don't get as much money. And, and then when landlords don't get as much money, that means uh, that they might not be able to pay their loans, uh, which means foreclosures and, and sort of, you know, a lot of bad things. Um, so th that's, that's, you know, point number one. And then point number two is, is just completely related to interest rates. So uh, a lot of landlords borrowed gobs of money um, when, when interest rates were, were really low. And if, if you had a, a good, you know, office building in Manhattan, you could get you know, 3.5, 4% uh, mortgage. Uh, and um, now mortgage rates are higher. And, you know, it's probably 6 or 7%. And uh, that, that costs you a lot more money. Um, and usually when you, you do it, you, you, uh, you know, would pay for that with the rents coming in. Uh, you'd pay your mortgage off with the rents coming in. And so what's happened now is the rents are going down. 
and the, the amount you owe the bank will go up. Um, and so it either goes up just on a monthly basis because the, it, it was a floating rate loan or uh, it, you know, more likely um, when the mortgage comes due, uh, you need a new mortgage to replace mm -hmm. that. And um, rates are higher and the bank's much more skittish uh, and sort of everyone loses. So uh, the, yeah, the, there's a worry that because these things happen slowly, it's, it's commercial real estate is, takes a, as I learned last time when I started covering this, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an iceberg uh, or a Titanic, you know, we slowly sink or aircraft carrier. It's, it, it takes a while to turn. But um, th there is a worry that, that it'll sort of cascade. It hurt a lot of landlords, then hurt a lot of banks. And then um, our banking sector is really dependent on, on sort of the strength of the commercial real estate market, especially the, the regional and, and local banks. So why don't you tell the story of one uh, firm that you profiled, SBB out of Sweden, and what's happened to them in this moment? Yeah, so... so um, yeah, this is because I'm in, in London, you know, looking more toward Europe, and, and my editor actually had the idea of this um, sort of profiling this guy in Sweden who uh, became known as the, the uh, was, was de declared the, the real estate king of Sweden, um, and he built out of nothing in, in a really short amount of time um, a very, very large uh, commercial real estate company. Um, and it wasn't interested in skyscrapers or, or offices. It did this weird thing where it was uh, essentially buying um, town halls and, and police stations and preschools from and, and you know regulated apartments from the public sector and other buyers, um, and then leasing it back to them. Um, and so uh, it, it you know became yeah I think it was like eight in the stock market it was worth like 16, 18 billion at its peak. Um, and they had borrowed, uh, a, it, this whole thing was financed by debt and, and there was this mm -hmm. really, really kind of frothy bond market in Sweden where, it, it, you know, they seemingly would give anybody money, uh, at really cheap levels. And the whole overall annual interest rate that, uh, the company was paying at the end of 2021 was 1.5% which is, is, is just wild. I mean, Alex, like I would not, um, you know, I would demand higher uh, rate for you if, if I gave you $10. Like it's, it's uh, like that, that, that's no friends rate. It's, it's, it's just really low. It's basically nothing. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, now you'd probably need, one would probably need, like I was saying, like five, six, seven percent. Um, so, uh, lo and behold, um, the, the real estate built on very cheap debt suddenly had a problem when uh, the price of debt went up. And, uh, you know, since then, the empire, when we last wrote about it, was, it was wobbling. They, they were trying to sell things and, and, and um, you know, not get a debt downgrade. And then they did get a, a ratings agency downgrade of their debt to junk. And everything basically fell apart. Uh, so wow. that, that, that the CEO, the, the, the real estate king, Ilya Batlan, is, is out um, of the company he founded, um, as CEO at least. Uh, and, you know, there's sort of like lawsuits flying and, and uh, they, they've been sort of trying to, you know, fire sale their, 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 their properties and, and the stock has, has gone sort of <laughs> a lot closer to zero. Uh, so um, it, that one sort of fell apart very quickly. Uh, I, I think the worry is that there's going to be a, uh, there could be a few of those in, or, or lots of those in the U.S. And and one of the things that happens in commercial real estate is is it's sort of all interrelated. It's like there's a lot of similar buyers and sellers, and so um, you know if one guy can't sell his building and the building's value plunges, then everyone's like, oh, I guess my building's not worth much either. Um, so um, it can it can cascade. Yeah. It's a little scary. I mean, if you think about where like the real shock can happen, we've already had banks go down without any of this stuff falling apart. <laughs> right. So yeah, that was just, think about where the next shock can come from. Sorry. It, the, the, yeah, you, you, like a bunch of tweets can cause a bank to fail. Imagine what happens if a oh, real right. estate collapse happens. All caps. All caps. It's the problem. <laughs> hey, what do you think? Um, so this, I think, uh, you know, tomorrow or the next day, the new Facebook competitor to Twitter is coming out. Are you excited to use that? Um, we'll no rate see. Limit, apparently. Uh, yeah, no, I, I at least want to give it a whirl. Um, uh, again, bad at, bad at predicting the future, but um, I do remember I got very excited when Google launched Google Plus. Was that what it was called? 
uh, its yes. own social network because it seemed, whatever reason, I'd liked it. I was like, oh, they like this more than Facebook. Tech companies aren't evil. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that, that bombed pretty quickly. So uh, who knows? Yeah. And I think the thing is that what, with Google and Google Plus, what they did is they wanted to design like, like basically imagine it from the beginning. And actually, one of the things that we've seen in social media is sometimes the best product is somebody else's product, right? <laughs> so Facebook is the master of this. Yeah. Sorry? They copy it to a T. To a T. Facebook, I mean, Facebook's done this successfully with Snapchat stories, with TikTok on Reels. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I think people who are underestimating what's going to happen with this new product threads uh, are failing to comprehend the, the long history that Facebook has of doing a very good job of copying and then implanting into their products. And there's an added level right now because of the Zuck, Elon Musk animosity. Um, and I think that if he was thinking, if Zuckerberg was thinking about, hmm, how much should I actually push this in the product? Now, after Elon Musk has, you know, said that he would, you know, beat him in a steel cage, I think that this is going to be front and center in the product. That's just my, my speculation. We'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. We will, uh, we, we can about tweet com- at each other or, or whatever. Yeah, I'll thread at you. I'll thread in you. Oh, is, thread, that, is that the way that uh, they... Yeah, I get it now. Yeah. Actually, really, it's, if, if, if that's the case, it really is a one-to-one copy <laughs> of Twitter. Okay, so um, WeWork, one last thing about commercial real estate, $553 million market cap. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, it's, uh, what's their stock at, like 22 cents? Um, <laughs> so, so you know, How much did they raise? Uh, How many they, billions? They, you know, SoftBank alone has, has lost $12 billion plus on it uh, to today. Um, its peak valuation was $47 billion. Um, so, uh, well, that's not a good look, is it? Um, no. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen there. It's, it's, they've sort of been, um, you know, they were hit by the tech bust, essentially. Were hit by the, they, they were a creature and, and victim of the tech bubble. Um, and mm-hmm. now sort of unwittingly have been, um, y- you know, uh, hurt by the real estate bubble or bust or whatever you want to call it. So um, mm-hmm. like they're, they're kind of chasing rents down, basically, like rents keep going down, but they keep having these fixed costs. And so mm-hmm. and not, there's not much demand for any office space. And so you're like, well, why wouldn't I just rent this random office from, from this tech company that left it? Why should I pay you for your kombucha? Um, and uh, I don't even know if they serve kombucha anymore. Um, Last so, time I was there, they did. Yeah, vibes were good. Salesforce, WeWork, the vibes are good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, look, it's, it's it continues to be nice office space. It's uh, like the, the problem now is sort of the basic business model of like, well, they they signed leases with landlords at one rent, and then they charge you a higher rent. But it, you know, it turns out rents are falling, and they're still stuck paying the higher rent. Um, so they have to renegotiate that. That's hard. It's time consuming. Meanwhile, rents keep going down. Um, so, um, not a great place to be right now. So buy the dip is what you're saying. Buy the book. Buy, buy, buy the, <laughs> buy <cult> the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take the book and the dip. Uh, l- last thing I want to talk about, I want to bring attention to a very important issue. Um, that's, you know, personally impacting you. Um, Ev- Evan Gershkovic is your colleague. He's currently imprisoned in Russia. I wanted to see if you could, you know, share with our listeners both a little bit of the details of your friendship and um, and what's happened to Evan, if you could. Um, for sure, uh, yeah, uh, Evan, colleague and friend. So, so I met Evan when when I, um, well, I guess to start out for, for those tuning in, it's um, yeah, Evan is our, our, one of our Russia correspondents, reporters, and, and he was captured in, in March uh, by the Russian FSB, uh, you know, the, the, the KGB or, or whatever, the, 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 their, their security services, and, um, you know, detained on, on charge of, of espionage, uh, which, you know, for the record, are com- completely untrue. Um, and so he's basically being held hostage uh, by, by Vladimir Putin um, to, uh, you know, presumably as a bargaining chip um, you know, with the U.S. or the West in the war. So it, it's, it's extremely surreal. Um, 
he we, we became we became friends uh, pretty quickly. He he and I moved here to London at a similar time. So basically, I moved here because I was moving here for for work in March 2022. Evan had just gotten here a few weeks earlier because. At the time, he needed media accreditation to work in Russia. And meanwhile, while he's waiting here at, at our big office here, um, he which and he had just been hired by the journal. He, uh, you know, war breaks out, and, and so you know, then he's sort of stuck here. So mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we'd uh, we, we'd get pints together. We'd we'd get cheap Indian food. He, um, he you know, sort of quickly. He struck out. It struck me as somebody who just like really quickly just slid right into the newsroom, and and this journal is like a really hard place to figure out. It's it's uh, you know there's a zillion different bureaucracies you have to to navigate, and um, you know some sharp elbows. And and Evan just is, was this smiley presence who who I just saw him sort of like bounding around the newsroom in his uh, New Balance and like the one sweater he'd wear every single day. Uh, and I was like, who is this guy? Um, and so, I don't know, we, we, we just became friends and he's, he's super inquisitive, he's super funny. Um, we, he, he's, uh, he loves to gossip. Um, he, he's a real chatty Kathy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, he's just a really magnetic presence. Anyone sort of love him. Um, and then, uh, you know, he, he uh, starting in the summer of 2022, started tiptoeing back into Russia um, I, I mean, in part, I think he missed it, but uh, like he, I think he he knew it was a high risk thing to do. Uh, but but is yeah, he's a very committed journalist, and and like to the sort of the, the reasons that, that any good journalist is. I mean, he he thinks that people need to know things, and and that his his job is to inform. And, and there were very few people willing, few Westerners willing to go into Russia, uh, willing or able to go into Russia. To, to do on the ground reporting. And, and so he, he was doing that for, you know, two, three weeks out of five um, in, until he was, uh, until, you know, he, he was detained and, and imprisoned at where, where he st- sits now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I guess it's hard to say hopeful or not, but just talk a little bit about, you know, it seems like there's been some progress and, and, you know, if, what, what do you think people, I mean, of course we have to, uh, in, in these situations, it's very easy for people to sort of disappear. And so it's important to bring attention to this. And that's what we're trying to do here. But curious, like if you could give like a sort of where you, where you think his case stands right now. And if it is, is just awareness, the thing that people can do or shows a support where yeah. like if people are interested in helping him I I mean so what do they with, do? Uh, I know uh, it's limited yeah sure like I, I you know I mean with with the disclaimer that there there's a very small crumb of, of news literally mm-hmm. today um, there we basically haven't heard anything from the Russian side uh, with with that asterisk uh, si- since his capture other than that you know they're charging mm-hmm. him as a spy he's going to go through a long trial um, and so um, our sort of approach has been here at the journal, here in, in, in sort of uh, you know the press uh, in the West, um, to to yeah keep him front and center in in, in the public mm-hmm. eye because uh, at least the thought is that that um, you know it, it it needs to be on the the, the tops of minds of, of uh, Biden the the the, the West. Um, you know, EU, NATO countries, uh, whenever the time comes to, to negotiate with, with, with Vladimir Putin. So, um, you know, because we think it's the most important thing ever. And, you know, I, I would, uh, yeah, like say we should trade the whole treasury if, if need be for, for Evan. Um, but the, the, they don't put me in charge of making those decisions. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, that's sort of the approach and, and sort of, you know, we wear like free Evan pins and t-shirts and, and put free Evan signs in our windows and, and sort of hope that, that people know who he is because yeah, it is, like you said, it's, it's really easy to just, you know, forget about it because there's not really much news. Um, Mm -hmm. though, uh, that said there there was, uh, you know, this is basically no information, but it's something. Um, you know, today there were reports out of Russia that, that, you know, Vladimir Putin's spokesman, I believe, um, said that there are certain contacts 
between the Russian state and, and the U.S. Uh, over Evan. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have no inside info on, on what that means, um, but, uh, you know, that's something. Um, and, and up until now, they've basically been saying, um, you, you know, there won't be any negotiating and we're signaling there won't be any negotiating until he's convicted uh, and sent to, you know, prison uh, or labor camp um, or, or penal colony, um, and which can be a very lengthy process there, especially on espionage mm-hmm. charges. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Our hearts are with him and uh, we hope he gets freed soon. It's not a should not be in prison for doing journalism, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what the situation. So appreciate you sharing a little bit about him. Um, and I think like you're 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 uh, coming on here and talking about who Evan is as a person. Right. It's sort of like gives a little depth to like the people, the person that we see in the news. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, and if, if, if uh, more than happy to, and if anyone um, like he, he mm-hmm. likes getting mail, um, and so okay. you can you can go to um, just Google sort of like free Evan Gershkovich. I, I think it's freegershkovich.com, um, but mm-hmm. uh, Google will correct the spelling for you. Um, and you know his friends who are running that uh, made it make it super easy to send him a letter, and, and they 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 oh. work on the translation and sort of because it has to be in Russian when it arrives there. Mm. Um, and you know he just he likes getting mail, like sort of hearing about um, if, if stories he wrote touched anyone because uh, he wrote some really good stories. Um, mm. Then uh, that that's a nice thing to mention too. Elliot Brown, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you. Please come back. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Thank you again, LinkedIn, for having me as part of your podcast network. Um, And we'll be back on Friday with another show, Breaking Down the Week's News. We'll probably have a recap on what happened with Threads. Uh, Plenty more to come. We have a bunch of really amazing interviews coming up the next few weeks. Flagship interviews as well as our Friday breakdown. So please stay tuned for that. If this is your first time listening and you want to hit subscribe, that would be awesome. If you're a longtime listener and want to hit the five-star rating, uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That would go a long way in helping us bring some great guests on. We hope you do that. All right, that's going to do it for us here today. We'll see you next time on Big Technology Podcast. Big Technology Podcast.